Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you chose to hang out with us today. My name's Chris, and um, today is Coronation Day. Today is a day that I will be crowned king. Some of you aren't as excited, I can tell. I wouldn't be either. Um, hey, today we're, I'm not crowned as king, but we are going to talk about a person in the Bible who was crowned as king. There's a guy by the name of Samuel who's a prophet, kind of like a pastor of his day, and he comes and he says, I want all 12 tribes to stand before me because God is going to call one of you to be the king. And everyone starts looking around at each other like, could it be me? Could it be you? Could it be somebody else? Now, in Israel, you need to realize that they had never had a king before. So there was all of this excitement of what was going to take place. And the scriptures say that Samuel took these lots, which were kind of like dice. He prayed, and from them, he, he threw them, and it said that the king would fall on the tribe of Benjamin. And so all of the Benjaminites started celebrating, and they all took a step forward, and they're all excited, and they're looking at each other like, is it going to be you? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? I hope it's you, and I hope it's not me, but, you know, hey, I don't know. Who's it going to be? And everyone's excited, and then Samuel, in kind of an announcer voice, says this, and now, from the tribe of Benjamin. From the Matisse family, the son of Kish, it is your new king, Saul. And everyone starts celebrating. They're like, yes, it's Saul, great. One problem, where's Saul? They can't find him. They're like, where's he at? And pretty soon Saul or uh, Samuel's kind of frustrated. He's like, Hey, Kish, where's your son, dude? Like, he's supposed to be king. Where, Where's he at? What, What's going on? And it's so awkward that Samuel kind of takes a step back and he actually prays to God. And Scripture tells us this. Samuel went back to God. Is Saul anywhere around? And God said, yes, he's right over there hidden in the pile of baggage. He's like, oh, well, why? Like, why is he hiding? Why is he in the baggage? And so Samuel's like, hey, send somebody over there to get him. And they they walk over to the baggage and they're like looking and, oh, talk. Dude, you're king. Come up. And all of a sudden, Saul kind of walks out. And everybody's wondering, like, why is he hiding? Now, when he walks out, he stands up and he's big, and he's handsome, and he's muscular. He's like Zac Efron. 
All right, ladies, don't lust, okay? And he's, he looks like him, but he's like bigger than that. And he stands a head taller than everyone else. And the people are like, this is amazing. Long live the king. Long live the king. Long live the king. Now, you've got to understand that the Israelites had some amazing leaders. They had a guy named Moses. Remember him? God used him to part the Red Sea through God's power. A guy named Joshua. Now, the word leader in the Hebrew is a word that means crowned prince. Israel didn't have a king before. They just had crowned princes. God was the king, and any time that they needed to go to God, they just went directly to him, and he was the king. And there was no problem. But the people started looking around at, like, all the other nations, and they're like, everyone else has a king but us. And if we don't have a king, we're not, like, in the same group as them. And so we need to have a king. And so finally they get this king, and they're so excited because he has the physical stature and the good looks, and he looks imposing to the rest of the nation. And the people are like, we're going to trade God in for our Zac Efron on steroids. Now, the problem is, is that many people are neglecting how this whole thing started. Like, Dude, he was in the baggage. He was in the suitcases. He didn't even kind of want this job. But the question is, why? Well, there's something that's happening internally to Saul that you can't see on the outside. Because all the people cared about was on the outside, and he looked like that, but there was stuff going internally. Folks, here's the truth. Every single one of us in this auditorium today, we carry some baggage. Every single one of you. And some of you might be arrogant enough to think, no, not me, but you're wrong. Just ask the people around you. They'll let you know. But many of us, we don't want to talk about what's in the suitcase. We don't want to talk about what that is. And all we tend to do is focus on what's on the outside making sure that we're good, that we look good in front of other people, making everyone else believe that we don't have any hurts, we don't have any habits, we don't have any hang-ups. But if you're thinking that way, you're lying to yourself and the people around you. You see, the truth is, is that every single person in here is carrying something on their back, some kind of baggage in your life. And you carry it everywhere you go. Every table that you sit at, every time you go to work, every time you're around family, every time you're at organizations. And for many of us, we really don't want to deal with it. We just want to keep it inside and then no one has to know. And today what I really want to encourage us is that we might actually start saying, you know what? I think that maybe I could start opening it up. 
And maybe I could deal with something inside. And I was thinking about it this week that for some of you, what you might want to do is actually take this challenge, take this commitment that it's actually a prayer to God, that you go to God regardless of what baggage you're carrying, and this is what you say and this is your first fill-in. God, I'm going to open up and give you my baggage. God, I'm actually going to start opening this up a little bit. And God, I'm going to give it to you so that I can be free. Now the truth is, before we can do this, we must admit that, hey, I have some. I have some hurts, I have some habits, I have some hang-ups in my life. So... This morning, what I want to do is kind of go through those three kind of pieces. A hurt, a habit, and a hang-up. First of all, a hurt. What is a hurt? A hurt is that emotional reaction, that feeling to another person's behavior or to a disturbing situation. Any life experience that you've had where your heart has been damaged or that it's been twisted or manipulated or distanced from God or hurt by other people around you. These are things like abuse, abandonment, codependency, relational betrayal. Maybe you were raised in a very dysfunctional family. On the outside, everybody thought, oh, everything looks great. But internally and with one another, it was very messed up. Maybe alcohol ran uh, rampant. Or maybe there was just some really horrible kind of ways to communicate. Maybe there was neglect or trauma that you experienced. We've all had some hurts in our lives, every single one of us. And we've got to be able to deal with them. So that's a hurt. The next thing is what we call a habit. What is a habit? A habit is an addiction to someone or something. There are some unhealthy patterns that many of us have got. And the reason is, is because we're trying to take care of the hurt. And because we're hurting so much, what we do is we tend to kind of do some things, and then all of a sudden those habits get kind of destructive, and they create some deep pain and darkness. Habits like alcoholism, drug abuse, gossip, gambling, workaholism, overspending, sex addiction, eating disorders. And these are the things that seem like an escape, that when we do this, it's like, I can escape the hurt, but the habit just creates more pain. And then lastly, there's hang-ups. What is a hang-up? A hang-up is a negative mental attitude that is used to cope with people or adversity. These are often shaped very early on. Our parents say something about us. You're a bad kid. You know what? You're not as smart as your brother or sister something that we get these recordings in our mind, and then we hear it from family. Or maybe at the workplace, someone says, you know what, you're not the best worker, you're not the most intelligent. And these hang-ups, they hold us back, and they check us in life, and we're not able to control them. And so what happens is we start getting angry, and we, for some of us, we get fearful. Things like depression or perfectionism come out of these hang-ups that we have. We find ourselves filled with things like pride and racism, impatience, 
worry, greed, self-righteousness, condemnation, a lack of self-control. Anytime things aren't going so well, all of a sudden, this hang-up consumes us. Folks, the truth is, is that every single one of us has hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And the reality is, we all have some baggage too. The question is, are you willing to open any of it up? In our study today, this nation is so excited that they have a, a king. But the problem is, they were ignoring all the baggage that Saul had been consumed by. I mean, it would have been so much healthier if someone would have actually walked to Saul and said, Hey, Saul, um, you know, let's not be king until you deal with some of this. Uh, until you deal with some of the things that you're struggling with. Uh, you, you have fear. You have insecurity, Saul. You've you got to work on these. You'll never be the leader that God called you to be if you don't work on that. So let's put this on hold rather than doing that. But nobody did. Now, last week we talked about a great leader, a guy by the name of David. He had a heart for God. He had this strength to go right into the battle. He was courageous. He trusted God in amazing ways. And when Goliath, the giant, stands before him, he doesn't shriek back. He actually goes straight into it, and he goes after him. And after he kills the Philistine, they go back to the town and to the country, and everyone is celebrating, and they're so excited, and there's all of this joy. And then they bring out the instruments, and people are like playing the, you know, the banjo, and they're playing the drum, and everyone's like excited about the fact that they've killed the Philistine. And David and Saul are walking down, and people start making up some songs. And here was one of the phrases in the song. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And this is a great song. Unless you're Saul. And if you're Saul, you're like into it. You're like, man, this is... Whoa! Say what? Wait, now they're comparing us. He slayed his my thousands, but David tens of thousands. And you know, every time David speaks of Saul in Scripture, it's always as I'm your servant. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Is there a way that I can care for your needs? I'm here to serve you, King. Your Lord, I'm not. But when Saul heard that phrase, Saul has slain the thousands and David the tens of thousands, what happens is he starts getting a little bit jealous. And then that jealousy turns into anger. And that anger turns into fury. And this phrase all of a sudden gets on his nerve. And he's like, they credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands, and it infuriates him. And he's like, you know what? If this is going on, the next thing that David's going to be after is my kingdom, and it can't happen. And so Saul keeps his eyes on David very closely. Now, I want to introduce another character to you that we'll talk about a little bit later, and it's Saul's son named Jonathan. 
Now, Jonathan is the heir in line to be the next king. And what you need to know right now is that he had his eye on David as well. But there's a huge difference in what they looked at. In fact, there are some incredible differences between the two of them, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, back to the story. The best way that Saul knew how to keep his eye on David was to employ him. And so he says, hey, why don't you uh, come and you can be one of the artists who helps me keep a positive attitude. And David's like, oh, king, anything I can do for you, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And so he walks in and he starts reading some poetry. And all of a sudden Saul's like, man, he's a poet. And look at all the ladies in the palace. They're like into David and not me. And then all of a sudden he pulls out his musical instrument, his harp, he starts playing it, and everyone's listening to it. He starts making up songs, and he's like, this guy is amazing. And everyone is attracted to him, and they're not attracted to me. I mean, he's a fearless warrior. He killed the giant. He's a sensational singer. And all of a sudden, Saul's not relaxing anymore. He's starting to get a little bit tense. And he gets so tense that he starts thinking, you know what, I think I need my spear close to me. Because I'm getting frustrated, and I just can't believe that everyone's into him and not me. And David starts singing these grace-filled songs of the goodness of God, and he's singing it, and Saul's clinging to his spear a little bit more, and he's getting angry and frustrated and infuriated, and finally, in rage, he takes his spear and he throws it right at David. And the spear comes in and it hits the wall, and all of a sudden, David's like, hmm, I don't think he likes the song. And he leaves, he takes off, he goes away. Well, he comes back to the palace the next day because he wants to serve the king. And he gets there the next day and he's playing his harp and he's singing and he's trying to keep it all good. He chose a different song this time. And he's playing this song and all of a sudden, you know, Saul just gets so infuriated that he picks up the spear again. Would anyone like to demonstrate being David for a second? But he picks it up again. Okay, right there. No, there's a guy down here raising his hand for those of you on the balcony. Um, so he gets it again and he, he throws it. And again, it sticks right to the wall. And all of a sudden, David's like, I don't think it's the song. I think it's me. And he escapes and he runs out and he gets away from it. But... Now Saul has more baggage. Now he actually wants to take out somebody else. And the scripture says this, that Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape, and so he gets away. David's a smart dude. Like, you only got to get a spear thrown at you twice to be like, maybe I should go get away and do something else. But that was his weapon of choice. Now, here's the question that I have for each one of you. What is your weapon of choice? 
You see, this is the question that you have to ask. What's your weapon of choice? And many of you are like, well, I would never throw a spear. I don't do that at all. But for some of you, you know what your weapon of choice is? is your words. Whenever someone starts getting a little bit too much to your baggage and they start confronting you and they start telling you about some of the pain and hurt that you've caused other people or that you're not being a team player and all of a sudden they start going off on you a little bit and it's all true and it's all honest, you become very angry and you throw out insults and you put people down and you create some kind of pain towards them because of the brokenness and what you're not willing to to deal with in your baggage. Now, for some of you, it's not your words. But for some of you, maybe it's your fists. You're a big, tough guy. And anyone, anytime someone tries to do something or say something to you, you push, you pull, you wrestle, you use your fists to try to put the person in their place. But some of you are way too emotionally mature to do that. And you would never use words. But for some of you, what you do is you use looks. You look at people and you give them the stink eye. And sometimes it's not the stink eye, but it's the rolled eye. And you get the neck thing going, and all of a sudden, you just look at disgust with another person. You never say a word. You never use your hands. And I see it with parents and children all the time. They'll use physical expressions to put their kids down. So again, my question for you this morning is, what is your weapon of choice? What is it? Well, for Saul... One of the things we have to realize is that he had different things that he dealt with. One was fear. He had a huge fear, and that was the way that he dealt with things. The other thing is he had a a position that he was going to do anything he could to keep it, even if it meant that he was actually going to throw a spear at another man. And then finally, the next way is he used manipulation. He manipulated his family in some incredible ways. The text tells us that later on, Saul tries to get all of his family to go against David. So he goes to one of his daughters and he said, Hey, would you like to uh, maybe marry David? And she's like, Yeah, I'd like to marry David. He said, Well, let me see if I can arrange it. And so he goes and he says, Hey, David, I'd like you to marry one of my daughters and David goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy of being a part of your family. I couldn't do that. I'm your servant. I'm not your son-in-law. And Saul gets angry. He's like, oh, why is he doing that? So he goes, he's like, well, no, the oldest daughter, maybe she wasn't as good looking as the next one. And so he brings the next daughter. He's like, hey, would you like to marry David? And she's like, oh, yeah. And so... He brings this, but he has a little caveat this time. He has something that he changes. He says, hey, I want you to do something for me. And if you fulfill this, I want to give you my daughter as your wife. And he's like, oh, 
if there's any way I could serve you, if there's anything that I could do any time, King, I'm willing to do it. And so David completes the task. He's successful with it, and he gets the daughter. And Saul is so excited because now it's not just that he's an employee and he comes to the palace, but now he's actually going to live in the palace, and he can keep his eye clearly on You see, again, all that Saul is trying to do is manipulate his kids. And at this point, our second character, Jonathan, comes onto the scene. He's the oldest son. He's the heir apparent. He's the person who will be the next king. Now, what you need to know about Jonathan is he is an incredible leader. And uh, he has learned from his dad's mistakes. And so he doesn't carry baggage, but he simply opened it up. And he said, God, I'll, I'll give this to you, and I don't want to live like my dad. And so he doesn't carry baggage around. And he builds this great friendship with David. And one day, Saul sees Jonathan and David hanging out together, and he's like, oh. He's like, well, how about the two of you and I, there's this festival coming up. Why don't we go to lunch together? And Jonathan knows that there's kind of a plot probably coming, and so he says, well, Dad, actually, David has other plans that he needs to take care of, and so he's not coming. And Saul gets so angry because he's like, Jonathan, why can you not see what's going on? And this is how he responds. He says, Jonathan, as long as the son of Jesse, that's David. He can't even call him David anymore. He he just calls him the son of Jesse. He says, the son of Jesse lives on this earth. Neither you, Jonathan nor your kingdom will be established. You see, for Saul, what you need to realize is when we look at the difference, for Saul, everything was about, if we turn to the next slide, everything, oh, sorry, everything was about comparing and competing. Everything was a competition for him. He wanted to win at all costs to defeat, to destroy David, no matter what it took. And eventually, Saul says this to Jonathan. He says these words, Now send someone to bring David to me, for he must die. What Saul is trying to tell his son, he's like, Jonathan, don't you get it? As long as the son of Jesse is around, he's going to try to take over our kingdom. So Jonathan, if you want any power, if you want any influence, if you want anything whatsoever, bring David to me, for he must die. The problem is, is that Saul just zipped everything up and said, I'm going to keep my baggage and I'm going to keep carrying it any hurt any hang up I'm keeping it I throw a spear I don't care I manipulate my kids I don't care I'm fearful of my kingdom being taken I don't care I will compare I will compete I will do anything to bring him down and then it gets so much worse Saul is so focused and honed in on capturing David that the last third of 1 Samuel 
So 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. The last third of that book, every single story is about Saul trying to take David out. And finally, Saul gets close enough to David and he's ready for this ambush to take him out. And word comes to him, Saul, it's not going well back at home. The Philistines have actually come in and they have destroyed some things and they are coming now. But Saul is so focused on David and his threat, his competition, the person who he fears is going to take his job, that he forgets his responsibility, his first responsibility as king, and that is to protect the people. Now, many of you will sit there today and you're like, well, this means nothing to me. I think it means a little bit more than what you think. Anything like that ever happened to you? I bet it has in the workplace. You get a new hire. Somebody comes in. Someone moves up. You put all the time in, all the energy, and all of a sudden this new person comes in or someone else. And all of a sudden they're getting all the attention. They're getting all the words. They're getting all the promotion. And all of a sudden you don't like it in yourself, but you start feeling like they're a threat. Even though they're a great gift to you and they make the company better and everything else, the boss is paying more attention to them. There's more accolades toward them. And you have your baggage and you're like, oh, they're such a threat. They're trying to take my role. Ever happen in families? All right, sorry, I'm meddling now, aren't I? The son goes away, he messes up, he does something different, comes back, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not the favorite anymore. Somebody else is. Mom and dad always looks at them. They give them more money. They care for them more. They invite them to do this. They invite them to do that. They talk about me behind their back, but uh, uh, they're a threat. Someone marries into the family. Sister-in-law, brother-in-law. Hey. I've been here. What about me? And before long, what happens is you get these destructive patterns because you see the other person as a threat in your life. And folks, we have this baggage. And the question for us today is this. Will you deal with your hurts? Will you name your habits? Will you be honest about your hang-ups, those things that are preventing you from being the person that God created you to be. You know, some of the bravest and most courageous people that I know are people who attend our Celebrate Recovery program on Tuesday, Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. It's not just people that maybe struggle with some kind of abuse, but they struggle with habits in their life, with hurts, things from their past. But they admit that, you know what, I've got some baggage in here. I've got some sorrows, and I just don't want to leave it there. I actually am willing to open it up to you, God, and to some other people around me. In a safe place where I can share my story. And this is what I'm believing in. These people, they're like, you know what, I believe that healing can come from God when I don't keep it in here, but I literally open it up and I share it before God and group of close people. I'm committed to doing that. 
And they say, I'm going to get healthier. And, and this is a reason why a lot of them decide to get healthier. I'm not going to pass a broken baton onto my kids. You see, that's the thing for, for some people is that they go through their life and because their life is messed up, they're just like, ah, I'll leave that for the next generation. I wouldn't leave it for the next generation because they're simply going to take on what you took on. And so you got to get some help. And for some of you, I pray that you'd make a commitment today to say, I want to do Celebrate Recovery. For me, I went through the step studies for an entire year because I realized I had some baggage and stuff in my life that it needed to be released to God and to a small group of other people so I wouldn't continue carrying it as the church continued to grow. Now, for some of you, I realize you're like, well, that's not for me. Well, if it's not for you, then maybe you need Christian counseling. Maybe you need to just call and say, you know what? I do have some baggage. I do have some stuff, and I need some help. For me, I've used Christian counseling uh, my entire adult life. Jennifer and I, for our marriage, we have. Because this is the thing. In the bunch household, as much as it is, uh, as difficult as it is to deal with our baggage, we just don't want to stay stuck. And so we get the help that we need. And for some of you, you're so fortunate because we have a counselor on staff. In fact, if you would, I'd like you to pull this out from your program for a second. And uh, within it, it gives you two resources right now that you could get healthy and get better. Celebrate Recovery on Tuesdays at 7. Or Don Richmond, who is our counselor on staff, amazing, gifted person, that you could say, you know what, I need some help. I, and some of you I know are taking advantage of it. And good for you. You're getting healthier. You're getting better. Whatever it is, you have to choose something. But quit staying stuck in your baggage because what will happen is eventually if you do, you're going to start using more and more spears. Now back to the story. You know, Jonathan should have followed his father's advice. I mean, if he wanted to be king, David's the guy that they need to take out. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to carry that baggage. I'm not going to be like my dad, and the scripture says this. It says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David, together with his armor and also with his sword and bow and his belt. Then it goes on to say this. So Jonathan made a covenant with David, a commitment, because he loved him as he loved you see this was the difference between Saul and Jonathan and we'll put this up here Saul was focused on fear but Jonathan realized that perfect love cast out all fear and so he gave his baggage to God and he said God I'm going to love and have a relationship here Saul was only concerned about his position can I retain it can I keep it to myself Jonathan, on the other hand, was focused on the person of David. He says, people are more important than positions. I'm willing to reduce my role so that he could be lifted up. And then finally, instead of manipulating his family or the people around him, 
he actually made a commitment to say, I'm going to support David no matter what. Jonathan doesn't act like Saul. But the scripture says he made this covenant, a binding agreement that he says, you know what? I'm going to love you like a brother. And I realize God has called you and I'll lift you up. And what I found so interesting is that passage where he gives him his robe and his armor. He also gave him his sword. Now, this is what's interesting. In Israel, at this time, there were only two swords. Only two. The king had one, and the heir had the other. You see, Israel did not have technology to have all of the swords. That was the Philistines. They had a monopoly on that. So there's only two that are there. And so when he gives them his sword, it isn't one of those things like, hey, son, I got this old shotgun, and you're a man now. Here you go. He's given to him all of his position, all his power, everything. The only other one in the entire country. And I'm telling you, David, I believe like God is calling you. And so here is my sword. Because Jonathan knew something that Saul didn't. You see, Saul was trying to compare and compete. i got to compete with him. And this is what Jonathan understood. He said this, If we make it, David, I know I make it. If we obey God and we make it, then I make it. So here's the sword. Could you do that? God asks you to relinquish whatever role, whatever position that you have right now to give it to somebody else. Could you do it? Or would you be so focused on the baggage that you have in here that you'd be like, I gotta You know, it's very easy to make a covenant with someone if you know you're getting the better end of the deal. It's much more difficult to do so when you're relinquishing position and authority to someone else. And I have a feeling that Jonathan was human. Jonathan was a person who walked down and he heard the songs too. Saul! Slayed thousands, David tens of thousands, Saul thousands, David tens of thousands. And Jonathan is like, what about me? Like, I killed some people. I was a good leader. But they sang about Saul and they sang about David, but they didn't sing about me. You see, folks, there's a huge difference between this father and this son when it comes to how they dealt with baggage in their life. Saul got stuck into fear and trying to own his position and try to manipulate everybody around him and try to compare and compete. Jonathan, on the other hand, said, I'm going to love because perfect love casts out fear. I'm going to be about the person. I'm going to support him no matter what. And if we make it, I know then that I 
Today, for some of you, you have a specific hurt in your life, and you're carrying baggage, and there's pain, and you're carrying it. For others of you, you have a habit or an addiction or a pattern of some kind. I mean, there's something that you run to because your heart hurts so badly, and you think, I get an escape whenever I'm addicted to that, whether it's a juicy piece of gossip or a bottle or something else. For others of you, there's this sense of a hang-up, something that happened a long time ago, and you know it's a lie, you know it's not true, but you keep hearing the recordings of a mom or a dad or a parent or uh, someone else that consumes you. Folks, what would it look like today if all of us in this place, I just imagine, if we committed to saying this, God, I'm going to open up to you and I'm going to give you my back. What kind of freedom would there be? What kind of openness would there be? Let me ask you this morning, is any of that relating to you? Is there a hurt? Is there a habit? Is there a hang-up that you've been putting in and you're carrying the baggage? And you, you even sense sometimes that God wants you to do something with it, but you don't. Folks, when you do this, what happens is eventually there's collateral damage that's around you with your family, your coworkers, other people. And I want to tell you that Jesus has a life for you that's so much greater than that. When we allow God to invade and he begins to help with the broken and fractured pieces of our life. Now, I know that some of you have gone through some really difficult stuff, stuff I can't even imagine. And it wasn't your fault. What that person did, what they said, how they acted, it's not your fault. But it's your responsibility to deal with whatever that is. And if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you play like Saul, what happens is you start throwing more and more spears and your suitcases and your baggage gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But I want you to know today that there is a better life. A life where God wants you to join Him. A life where you can trust Him. A life where you can taste His abundance and His goodness. Where you can experience the incredible gifts that He has for your life. But, but, the only way it comes, folks, is when you're willing to take the risk to say, I'll open it up. I'll, I'll open it up. I'll open it to you, God. I'll open it to a small group of people. And for some of you, maybe the thing that you would open up today is to say, I'm going to celebrate recovery. On Tuesday, my hurt, my habit, my hang-up, I want healing. For others of you, maybe it's counseling. Tomorrow you're going to pick up the phone, you're going to call the church office, say, you know what, I want something to change. Folks, your capacity to love and live the life that created, that God created you to be will always be limited unless you open up your baggage. You allow God to bring healing share it with a few trusted people around you. My hope and my prayer this week is this, that some of you might take the risk that you would do that. Let's pray.
God, I invite your Holy Spirit to come right now and to move in ways that only it can. Some of us have been weighed down by some baggage in our life for far too long. It's been keeping us down, preventing us from living the life that you have for us. So God, would you help us to open up the baggage in our lives and to give it to you. Help us not to turn to fear, but to turn to love. Help us not to protect our position, but to live for people. Help us not to manipulate, but to be supportive. And help us not to see everything as competing and seeing a threat of something else. Help us to have an idea and an understanding that when we surrender to you, God, we live. God, I pray right now that if someone is carrying some hurt or habit or hang up, that God, you would convict them in their spirit not to stay this way, but to get some help. To give Celebrate Recovery a try. What's it hurt one evening where you go and you give up an hour or so to? say, you know what, I'm going to do this. How much would it take to pick up a phone and say, you know what, I need to set up a counseling session? Don't say stuck. But receive freedom. Now for some of you, the baggage that you're holding on to, your hurt, your habit, your hang-up is because you have never given your life to God just always felt like you're unworthy. You've tried to fix it on your own, but it's not working. But maybe today you've realized, I can't do it anymore. Jesus, take my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need the assurance of heaven. And if that's you today, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. But it's not a prayer that we just pray alone, but we pray together in community. And so I invite us all to simply repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, take my baggage. Make me new. Come into my heart. Change me from within. I know you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.